It's Friday, August 3rd, and this is The Daily Dive. The issue of ghost guns, untraceable guns that can be made with 3D printing machines and skirt the regulation of gun laws, made waves earlier this week when a federal judge issued a temporary restraining order on the release of blueprints that would allow anyone to download specs and 3D print their own ghost gun. At the center of this is a man named Cody Wilson and his company Defense Distributed, which wants to grant people access to these blueprints. For more on this, we will talk to Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired, who has been following Cody's story for years and even made his very own fully functioning ghost gun. Next, to end on a lighter note, Let's check back in on the video game phenomenon of Fortnite. Already cashing in on more than a billion dollars this year, the game is inspiring people to make money off the game in other ways. Parents are enlisting video game tutors for their children. They are hiring coaches so their kids don't fall behind and paying upwards of $20 an hour. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for this new trend of Fortnite tutors. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. In the summer of 2012, a group of friends and I started a project called Defense Distributed. We wanted to use a 3D printer to print a gun and release the files open source. And even though that idea upset the literati, got our printer taken away by the manufacturer, and we still don't have a license. Still waiting. We've made real progress. And when this guy decided that radically open meant not so radical, not so open, DefCat was born. What does 3D printing mean? Joining us now is Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. We're going to talk about this uh, notion of ghost guns and 3D printed guns. This past week, a judge put a halt on the release of digital files that a company called Defense Distributed was going to be releasing, where it would give you blueprints on basically on how to 3D print your own guns or how to manufacture different parts of a gun so that you can basically make a gun untraceable, no serial number, nothing like that. Let's start with the judge's ruling. What did he rule and why? This ruling was actually overturning or putting a, a restraining order, at least, on another ruling that this group called Defense Distributed that wants everybody in the world to be able to print a gun or create a gun at home. This kind of gun access advocacy group, they had won a settlement against the U.S. government that would have allowed them, after years of restrictions, to start sharing any commercially available gun blueprint or 3D printable model for firearms online. And they were going to launch what they hoped was going to become the world's biggest repository of technical data and blueprints and CAD models for firearms. They had put up some of their files in the previous days when this group of attorneys general all over the country sued them and sued the State Department that had settled with Defense Distributed and got this judge to put this emergency restraining order on Defense Distributed, preventing them from publishing anything else, and they had to take down the collection of files they had already put up for now. They won this legal battle using the First Amendment as their legal argument. Back in 2013, when Defense Distributed posted the blueprints for the first 3D printable gun, the State Department had told them, you're not allowed to do that because it's an export control violation. It's as if they had shipped this gun to another country in the mail physically, rather than just putting this file on the internet. But because the internet goes everywhere in the world, they call that an export. And Defense Distributed and Cody Wilson, its founder, sued, arguing that they had a First Amendment right to put whatever information they want on the internet, basically. It's hard to know if that argument won, because the State Department essentially rolled over and conceded everything Defense Distributed wanted. 
before a judge even had a chance to rule on it. That argument was really compelling, but we don't actually know if it was going to work in court or not. Yeah, and Cody Wilson is a pretty smart guy. I mean, he used to go to law school. He dropped out when he really wanted to take this business forward. And as you said, you know, the government ended up losing. They even had to pay for some of the court costs and court fees that uh, Cody Wilson had incurred in this whole process. They didn't technically lose. They just quietly settled the case. So they never actually were told by a judge to do anything. So it's really mysterious, in fact, why the Department of Justice gave defense distributed the settlements. You know, maybe they thought they were going to lose. Tell us about who Cody Wilson is and what he thinks the purpose of all this is. I guess I know Cody Wilson pretty well at this point, and he is really complicated character. He is a radical libertarian. He's an anarchist, he would say. He is definitely an extremist on these issues, and he doesn't shy away from that term either. He wants to make it possible for anyone anywhere in the world to obtain a weapon. He's not particularly bothered by the idea that that could include people like felons and the mentally ill and even minors. I've seen a few videos that he had posted also where, yeah, he does mention all this stuff about the guns, but he has an even larger point where he says he wants to provide people with plans to be able to build everything. And he has little pictures of robotic arms and things like that. Basically, get around business and not have to deal with it so people have that power. They can do it on their own. So he has larger plans even besides just the gun stuff, but although this is a big part of his business right now. Talking to Cody Wilson for years, I've never really seen him do much to advance anything but guns. He has taken kind of side roads. He ran a, a Bitcoin money laundering software project at one point, but mostly he's been focused on guns. And he is at least as interested in the Second Amendment as he is in this First Amendment argument. He is very much a proponent of gun access for the whole world, I think above all else. I don't think he's actually that interested in helping people to make prosthetic arms right. or something. I think he's interested in 3D printing as this potential tool for anarchists. But the only really practical or interesting way that that's come to the fore so far is in firearms. You've been able to get out to the defense distributed headquarters, talk to Cody and see what the process is there. How do they turn a gun into computer code? How do they turn it into blueprints that anybody can download? In the past, their goal has been to create blueprints for a gun that can be turned from a digital file to a physical gun with a 3D printer or computer-controlled milling machines that carve an object out of metal, the kind of opposite process from 3D printing. Now that they have won this settlement, they've been really focused on the opposite process, which is turning lots and lots of guns that are already accessible to them into digital files so they can upload to the web. To do that, they've been using really old-fashioned tools, actually. They've been using like these kind of gauges that can precisely measure every line in an AR-15 components, and then slowly putting together those hundreds or thousands of measurements, essentially manually into a piece of software that can assemble a, a three-dimensional model of that component. And it's those very accurate and minute details and numbers that they need that translates over. So when they put those on the internet and people download those and then they want to try to make it on their own, they have it up to the millimeter specification they need so that it is as accurate a weapon as possible. The goal here is to create this gold standard library of gun files that will grow and grow. Eventually, it won't just be these traditional weapons. It'll be these kind of mutated weapons or evolving weapons that will be maybe more practical or durable when you make them on a 3D printer or some other kind of di digital fabrication tool. 
One of the interesting things that I read in your article, and you had mentioned that he wants to create the largest repository for these gun blueprints possible. He's also trying to create a library there with a, you know, most people would kind of toss that away and not really think of it, but it has a very specific purpose why he wants to build a library. What is that? For one thing, Cody Wilson really likes books. He's kind of like this erudite guy who dropped out of law school, as you said, and sees himself as an intellectual. So he loves the idea of having a library, but it does also serve this other ulterior motive, which is that if you have a library that's certified, I think you have to get your congressman to certify it actually as like a, an actual legitimate library. Then you get access to this archive of military gun files, as he describes it to me. It's this you know old school, decades old collection of rifle models and things. And he wants to include that in the repository of data that he's uploading to the internet. So by creating a library, he gets this massive stack of microfiche tapes that he can then digitize and put online and supplements what he himself is measuring and what people who use the site are uploading in a kind of user-generated model. You said you were walking around and you even found a granite tombstone that had the words American gun control on it. And he hopes to put it up somewhere around there as well. But this is one of the goals that he has to kind of get around it so that these gun control laws mean nothing. I basically tripped on this piece of granite, this big block that had American gun control etched into it. Now that is buried outside of his library under a tree. This very, very explicit, not exactly a metaphor. It's like pretty obvious what he means. Defense Distributed and Cody Wilson understand that American gun control is already very weak, or it is currently. This administration has no interest in gun control laws, and it's already very easy to buy a firearm in America. But what they see their project as doing is heading off future gun control as well. Even if you pass some omnibus firearm control act, there's still going to be, if they get their way, a big repository of digital files online and a collection of these home fabrication tools around the world that can just churn out weapons that essentially circumvents all of those laws that in the privacy of your home, you can create any kind of weapon, even if you can't buy it due to some future gun control. You've been following Cody for quite some time now, spending time in the offices and everything, but you actually tried your hand at making a ghost gun and you were very successful. I saw the videos that you guys put up on Wired. Walk us through that process. You went through three different processes to make a gun. The one that was successful was using the Ghost Gunner, which is a milling box that Defense distributed through Cody Wilson, they sell. You can buy this. Anybody can buy this. And it helps you make that gun, that ghost gun that is untraceable. So what was your process like? Well, I was determined to see how easy it is to do this process of making a so-called ghost gun, you know, where the idea is that the only regulated part of an AR-15 in American law is this one piece that is called the lower receiver. It's like the core body of the gun. Everything else you can just buy online. If you make that one core piece at home, that's the only part that's regulated. So essentially, you can circumvent all gun control by making one piece of metal. So I tried to make that piece every way that I had heard of. I tried this sort of old school manual method where you use a drill press to carve out what's called an 80% lower receiver, one that's almost finished, but not quite so that so somebody can still sell it to you without any gun control. Those are pretty widely available. You can just buy the 80% lower receiver and then it's just on you to finish the process, basically. That's right. So you get this chunk of aluminum that looks almost like a lower receiver, but not quite close enough that it's affected by gun control laws. And I tried to finish that with a drill press, like a manual power tool, and basically failed just because I'm not a very skilled, technical, shop class kind of guy. Then I did try a 3D printer 
And that was a piece of cake. And watching this lower receiver materialize inside of a 3D printer is really impressive. But when I showed it to a gunsmith, he thought that it may not have been durable enough. But I had also tried a third method, which was using this computer-controlled milling machine. It basically does the same job as that drill press of finishing an 80% lower receiver. It can also make other gun components, but it does this one job very quickly and easily. You kind of just click through a set of instructions like a Windows wizard, and it does all of the work of robotically carving this component and finishing it for you until it looks like a store-bought body of an AR-15. We felt like we had to test it, and we put more than 100 rounds through it. And it, after that one uh, jam, after like oiling it up a little bit, it, it did work perfectly. And it's pretty indistinguishable from any AR-15 that you might buy. And yet I had not interacted with any kind of gun control to create it. So you've spoken to Cody. You've seen the legal battle that's been going on. You've made your own gun. What do you think this is going to do for the future of gun control? 3D printers are getting more advanced they can already print in metal at the industrial level. Soon there may be consumer-grade metal 3D printers, which will change this question entirely. At the same time, there's already this kind of practical threat of so-called ghost guns like I created, where you just make this one part of the gun that's regulated and everything else you buy off the internet or whatever. So there's kind of two sides to this. There's one that is right around the corner. Then there's another that's years in the future. And both of those issues are real pressing dangers with different timelines, but equally dangerous in their own ways. Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. And what we're seeing now, some parents of kids that are in the more middle school or even elementary level are looking to get an edge on the game because it's, there's some sort of social pressures. Everybody wants to be able to brag about their wins at the playground. So parents are enlisting these coaches to help their kids do better at the game, which is, is pretty tough. Joining us now is Sarah Needleman, tech reporter for The Wall Street Journal. She focuses on the video game industry. We've talked about Fortnite, the video game phenomenon, before on the podcast. Already in the first half of this year, they've made more than a billion dollars I always love when things like this happen and then other industries start making money. There's other people finding ways to make money off of this. And on this side of the story, parents are enlisting video game tutors for their children. It's not that the violence or the addiction of the game that bothers mom and dad, it's them losing and they want them to be better at these games. What's going on with these Fortnite coaches? Well, we've had video game coaches before, but they've mostly been hired by adult hobbyists or older teenagers who are looking to become professional video game players. And what we're seeing now, some parents of kids that are in the more middle school or even elementary level are looking to get an edge on the game because it's, there's some sort of social pressures. Everybody wants to be able to brag about their wins at the playground. So parents are enlisting these coaches to help their kids do better at the game, which is, is pretty tough. Yeah, just proving the popularity and the impact of the game, uh, as you wrote in your article, you said it's becoming a social proving ground. And I love this quote out of it. It says, winning bestows the kind of bragging rights that used to be reserved for the local Little League baseball champ. And dads that would dole out their wallets for pitching lessons are doing this for video game lessons now. Exactly. It's just like, you know, if you're hiring a coach for your kids to get better at basketball or it could be piano lessons or chess lessons. It's just the same concept where you're trying to get better. It's only about an hour a lesson. 
And it wasn't so have to last indefinitely. You might just take one or you might take every Sunday night for an hour. And it's a chance for parents to bond with their children. Usually they can just sit in on it. And it can be a lot of fun and, and you can learn how to excel at what could be a very challenging game and just learn some best practices for playing in a game where you're on a team or competing against other people and, and the best way to go about doing that. Yeah, I'm a gamer. I've, I don't play as much as I used to. I, I do play Fortnite every now and then. And I totally understand the frustration of going out there and dying right away. It, it is a tough game. It gets you angry. You, you want to go back and play again, and then you die right away again. So it's yeah. it, it tends to piss you off sometimes. Let's talk about the money behind this, because there's these sites which will connect you to a coach. Sometimes these coaches are charging $20 an hour. I've seen some of these guys charging up to $35 an hour. What's yep, going and on And some charge even less. It really varies. So you want to look at the credentials of the coach and get a feel for whether or not they've been doing this for a long time. There's a difference between being very good at a video game and knowing how to coach the best way to play a video game. So not everybody's cut out for that job, but a lot of these sites that employ the coaches usually do some vetting. If you're going to hire a coach that you found through social media, you might want to do a little bit of homework on their background to make sure they really have the chops to be coaching and also just have the wherewithal to coach, especially when we're talking about children, you want as a parent you want to be there and just make sure everything's on the up and up. One of the families you talked about in your story, they said that they hired a coach for $20 an hour. They get about six hours of lessons a month. So they're spending about 120 bucks a month on these video mm -hmm. game lessons. One of the funniest parts of the article is Fortnite bringing families together and a bunch of dads wanting to connect with their young sons. <laughs> one of the other uh, good quotes that I loved in the article said, within one week, I actually got a solo win. The other dads I play with congratulated me. I earned a little credibility with my son and his friends, and my wife and daughter made fun of me. Total dad mode, you know. It's pretty funny how a lot of dads really wanting to connect with the younger kids and going exactly. through these messages, they're getting the coaching too. There's a little rivalry between dad and son in some cases. I noticed some of the boys I spoke to were like, I don't want me my dad to be better than me at this game. Or they're like, my dad is terrible. He needs the coaching. But oftentimes they admit that they could use some coaching too, because like with, with any competitive game, having an expert help you on how to get better is usually a good thing. And there's always ways to improve. A lot of these parents, maybe more particularly the dads, are saying, you know, they're hoping that their kids go pro at these video game things. And we've seen the rise of esports and things like that and tournaments and big payouts that happen. So even still, you know, these parents are looking forward to the future saying, so these lessons aren't that much because maybe they will go pro. Maybe they can accept it, these it things. It certainly is possible. Back in the day, that wasn't, it was so uncommon. It was so rare. It's much more common now. There are many more opportunities to play video games professionally as an individual or on the team. And there's some serious salaries being offered out there. There are professional leagues, you know, Activision Blizzard, and take two interactive software both have professional leagues electronic arts also has league for its fifa and Madden franchises so there are definitely opportunities to do that i can't wait to see what happens next in the whole Fortnite craze it's been pretty fun so far sure has sarah needleman tech reporter for the wall street journal thank you very much for joining us my pleasure take care all right that's it for this week join us on social media at daily dive pod on twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.